Hello and welcome to episode three of the Start Simple podcast with me, Andrew Shevlin. Am I meant to say that? I don't know. Anyway, I'm still getting used to this podcast hosting thing. Hope everybody is well. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is a Q&A episode. I've asked my clients this week for any topics or questions they want me to discuss, anything they want me to talk about in a bit more detail, and that's exactly what I'm here to do. So you'll get one of these episodes every two weeks where I'll just deep dive into areas of nutrition, areas of training that have come up with them, and hopefully not only will they find it useful, but you will too. And before I start, anyone who's shared, has rated, has reviewed the podcast so far, thank you so much. It makes a massive difference. If you are listening, tag me on Instagram, show me you're listening, leave ratings and reviews. Like I say, it makes a massive difference, and I do really appreciate it. So thank you. But you're not here for an Oscar speech. You are here to learn a little bit about nutrition, a little bit about training. So the first question that I got this week was from Rob. Now, Rob's on my Start Simple group program, and he asked me about supplements, which ones are worth it, which ones aren't. And it's a completely understandable question, because if there's anything in fitness, and trust me, there's a lot, if there's any area that isn't confusing, that's often overstated, I'd say supplements is a pretty good place to start. Now, the simple fact is the amount of money peddled behind supplement in the fitness industry is extremely large and for the vast majority of people it's just unnecessary it's a waste of time and more importantly it's a waste of your money and i say that from experience i'm that person i've probably bought more supplements than you've had hot dinners trust me your money could be spent so much more effectively elsewhere than the vast majority of supplements that are on the market now First, let's just take a little step back. What a supplement actually is. Now, a supplement just means that something you are deficient in. So the idea behind a supplement is to supplement for something, in this case, in your diet, in an area that you may be deficient in. So you might take a multivitamin supplement because you don't eat enough fruit and veg, meaning you don't get enough micronutrients, you don't get enough vitamins and minerals. Now, for me personally, my advice there is that you probably need to work on the diet quality, but a multivitamin, good option. If you live in the UK, I know you've just had a nice bank holiday weekend, but you still don't get that much sunshine. So a vitamin D supplement, because vitamin D is something that's very difficult to get through your diet alone. Omega freeze, if you don't eat much fish, that's another area that you could be deficient in. So the idea of a supplement is supporting an area that we are deficient in. When I get asked questions about supplements, it's very rarely on things like vitamin D, omega-3, multivitamins. It's often about things like fat burning products, these supplement stacks, and ultimately these, these very well marketed things, they'll always come alongside fat burning, shredded, lean, all these big buzzwords in the industry. None of these words are addressing a deficiency. So straight away, they're not even addressing what a supplement effectively is. What it's doing is addressing vulnerability to people. They're trying to solve a problem and profit from it. The only problem is that answer isn't going to solve the problem. Having said that, not all supplements would be a waste. There is probably two that stand out to me that I would suggest to most people, and I do suggest to most people that I work with. Outside of these two that I'm going to mention in a second, unless you can guarantee me that your training is perfect, that you don't miss sessions, that the, the quality, the intensity is there, that your diet is good, that you don't just take every weekend off and that you're consistent with it. If you sleep in eight hours a night, six to eight hours a night, I should say, but if your sleep quality is perfect, then you have got other areas of your life to work on before you sign up to my protein's latest supplement stack for 100 quid a pop. Now, do that I mentioned. And the first one is a good quality protein powder. Now, somebody in fitness will be listening to this and go, protein's not a supplement. Well, it is, isn't it? Because we all know it as a supplement. Now, the reason that I would say that is exactly as I've just discussed. Protein is an area that people tend to be deficient in, especially for people who are maybe new to this whole journey of fitness, of getting stronger or 
body fat or gaining muscle, it doesn't really matter. But if you're new to focusing on your health, then protein intake is one of the most common things that I would say you don't get enough of. It's And when I talk about me and you, I, I mean months, maybe a year, two years. It's like that still protein is something that you probably don't eat enough of or get enough of through your diet. And it's one of the most difficult changes. So a protein powder is just a really easy way. You could just make a frozen smoothie in the morning, put in a scoop of protein powder, job done it's going to bump your protein up. Again, a protein powder, it's not a magic formula. It's not any different, for instance, than you get in the protein in through a chicken breast, for a steak, through some fish. It's just an easy option to be able to use if it's something that you find difficult, okay? Easy way to just up your protein intake. So I would definitely recommend a protein shake for the vast majority of people off the basis that you probably don't get enough protein. Now, one thing Rob asked me about alongside protein was BCAAs specifically. So BCAAs are branch chain amino acids. So I just want to explain what they actually are and it will probably help you understand why it's not something you necessarily need now protein is made up of these little building blocks called amino acids think of them like lego pieces yeah now for protein to do its job properly we need all those amino acids to work together as a team if we didn't have one of them we're missing a piece of the jigsaw okay so we need all those amino acids if we're missing any of them then protein can't work effectively it can't do the jobs we want it to do now some of these amino acids we're going to split them into two groups essential and non-essential now the non-essential ones your body is already creating them you don't need to worry about them your body's looking after it it's all good the other side you might be able to guess one side was non-essential the other side are called essential amino acids now these ones we don't make in our body so we need to eat them through our diet or drink them to make sure that we are getting enough amino acids to build a protein for us as i say bcaas are then branch chain amino acids now they fall under the bracket of the essential amino acids that i've just mentioned the ones that we need from a diet the three of them are leucine isoleucine and valine so we've got to get them and all the other essential amino acids from our diet now you might have heard of leucine before leucine is like it's like the chief right it's the chief amino acids not great of analogies but we're just going to go with this now if all the amino acids were builders on a building site leucine is like the site manager who makes the plan and it gets us started on the building without leucine directing us it's not going to take place so anyway as i said bcas fall under the bracket of essential amino acids so we need to consume them from our diet but that doesn't necessarily mean we need to supplement them. So any animal-based sources of protein already contain BCAAs. They, they already have branch chain amino acids. So if you consume any animal products to hit your protein, meat, fish, milk, eggs, you're good. You're getting them already. Now, there's obviously a large group of people, vegetarians and vegans, who don't eat animal-based products. So it may be a little bit more difficult for those people to get protein sources that contain all the amino acids. Some of them, some plant-based sources do have all of the amino acids tofu off the top of my head is one but most of them don't however this doesn't mean go straight to bcaas my advice here would just be to eat a varied diet of different sources of protein and you're going to tick that bcaa box so for me even if you are vegetarian or vegan if i was working with you i would try and increase your protein from a variety of different protein sources as opposed to investing in bcaas if there was anybody who i was to suggest bcaas to it would be a vegan or a vegetarian who just doesn't consume enough protein from their diet so protein shakes absolutely most people could benefit from bcaa's highly unlikely it's going to be worth your money the other supplement so as you remember i said there was two protein being the first the other one is creatine now of all the supplements out there and trust me there is a lot of them and a lot of them make some very bold claims creatine is probably no definitely the most researched one that you'll find you won't find many people coming out against it 
because the evidence is so strong in favor of taking creatine. So creatine helps improve strength, helps improve performance. It helps with anabolic signaling. How good does that sound? But it's basically the process of building muscle. There's also research with creatine around cognitive function. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am well read on that side of things but I know it exists. So creatine and protein would be the two. Now, when it comes to creatine, you may have heard of like creatine cycling or loading doses. Cycling, you don't need to be cycling creatine. You can just take it consistently. You could opt for a loading dose, which would be a week of a, a much higher dose. Personally, I would just get into the habit of taking creatine consistently. You're looking at three to five grams a day based on your body weight. As with everything in fitness, it does slightly depend on that. But if you can just get in the habit of taking that, it'll take about two weeks for creatine to get into your system and then just take it consistently from then onwards for the rest of your life, pretty much. But, and I can't stress this enough, as I've just said, a protein shake, yeah, it's great. But if you're hammering the calories, then fat loss isn't going to happen. Creatine is fantastic for helping with strength and performance. But if you're missing sessions every single week, then it's the same for muscle gain. Supplements can help you. Supplements can be great. But 90% of the answers when it comes to your health, when it comes to your fitness, the answer is with you. It's not with a supplement. Next question I got was from Sam and Yori. So my, some of my one-to-one clients who asked, a little bit more about progressive overload. What are the best methods to use with progressive overload? Uh, Sam was asking, should she increase her reps or her sets? Yori was asking about reducing rest times or increasing tempos and what's the best way to go about it? So let me just explain what progressive overload is and the reason that we have it. So progressive overload is the idea of stimulating our muscles to build essentially. We want to put them our muscles under stress as we train and then we allow them to recover and grow that's essentially the process of muscle growth in one sentence we put your muscles under stress we make little tiny tears in them and then we recover and we grow with the help of protein rest adequate sleep all these things but that's going off on a tangent so we want to force your muscles to have to adapt so our job then is to create a stimulus to do so the stimulus being resistance training weight training whatever you want to call it now as your body adapts to that stimulus each week so you're going to find certain weights easier the longer that you carry on so your body's no longer going to find that weight stressful that's where we bring in progressive overload essentially just making it harder over time because that's not going to consistently challenge your body to change now i think the reason that you asked specifically about tempo and rest times is because over the last year of home training when i've been programming for my clients the information i put out on social media you've required more creativity with your training with the way that you program, whether it's isolating body parts, isometric holds, tinkering with your programs, shortening rest times, much slower tempo-based movements, outside of the obvious idea of just increasing the weight, increasing the reps, increasing the sets, because at home, that's just not been an option. Like we don't all have a squat rack and 100 kilos of weights. For some people, they were just with the same weights training at home. So we had to create progressive overload using these different methods, slowing movements down, holds like I've just said. But when you're training in the gym, I wouldn't place much emphasis on those areas. I wouldn't be worrying about changing your rest times, shortening your rest times every week or playing with your tempos each week in the gym for progressive overload. You just, it's probably unnecessary in the gym because there's easier and better places to put your focus on. For me, if you're like me, if you're just training to look good, to feel good, you want to gain a bit of muscle, you want to drop a bit of body fat, you don't need to complicate your training in the gym to that extent. Increase the weight, increase the reps, increase the sets. Over time, it's the simplest and easiest way for you to guarantee that you 
you are creating progressive overload. Also, one of the easiest ways for you to measure it. In terms of should you change reps, should you change sets, it might be that, and the way that I work with lots of my clients is that we program a rep range. So you might look to increase the reps for a few weeks. Let's say that you begin week one, eight reps of back squats at 60 kilograms, and by week or week three or week four, you're doing 10, 11, 12 squats of 60 kilograms. Then let's push it up a little. Can we add a few more plates on the side? Can we go up to 65? And maybe the weight, the reps, sorry, will come down and you're back to eight and nine. And we build up with 65 kilos and get you to 11, 12 squats. And then we go to 70 and you're back down to eight reps. So working within rep ranges like that, and gradually building the weight up through the rep range. When you get into the top of those rep numbers, then it's time to probably look at moving the weight up. What I wouldn't do is go excessive with reps because what's the end point with that? Like muscle building can take place at quite high rep ranges, probably more than most people believe. But for me, I've got a question, how hard you're pushing yourself? How hard are you training? If you are able to be start pushing out sets of 20 when it comes to back squats. For me, not hard enough. So I wouldn't be going too excessive with reps. I'd, I'd have a nice balance between increasing the weight, increasing the reps, or of course, adding on an extra set. But again, I wouldn't be maybe going past four or five sets because again, where does it end? Where's the end point? Another question came up was about eating and eating specifically around gym meal timing. Should you eat before? Should you eat after? What's best? When does it matter? I think it was Sarah from my one-to-one program who asked that. Now, we know from a fat loss perspective, it's our total calorie intake across the day that's most important. But in terms of calories around your training, there's definitely things that we can do to be a little bit more tactical, to be a little bit more thoughtful and to get the best out of you. As with everything though, sometimes things can be overstated, they can be somewhat overplayed, but hopefully you're starting to gather that that is the nature of the fitness industry a little bit. Now, one thing that you could do, and I suggest doing, would be carbohydrates an hour or so before a training session. It's always going to be wise. Carbohydrates are your body's preferred fuel source. We want fuel, we want energy for training sessions, so it makes complete sense to eat carbohydrates an hour before you train. It's going to be, again, individual on how much, but most people, I think a safe number would be 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrates before training would probably be a wise move. Now, that's a little bit more straightforward. One of the areas that gets overplayed around meal timing or meal timing around training is protein after training. Now, actually, I spoke about this last week with James on the podcast on the, and we touched on how the idea used to be that you have got to immediately after finishing your last set, you've got to sprint to the changing rooms, you've got to neck a protein shake, otherwise you're going to lose all your gains and the world is going to end. That's not really the case. We know now that that isn't really how protein and muscle protein synthesis, that's essentially muscle building. We know that that's not what you you have to do the thought process behind it used to be that there's there's a window of eating that you've got to consume your protein in around your training called the anabolic window but that's essentially just the idea of eating within a certain time from finishing training to ensure that you get the benefits of the protein and the muscle building but we now know that that isn't the case there's plenty of research to show us that isn't the case. The anabolic window as such after training can actually be anywhere up to 24 hours. Now I'm not asking you to go an entire day without eating, I'm just saying that you don't have to stress about running straight to the changing rooms for a protein shake. My advice is quite simple, when you next are ready to eat after training, because for some people as well, me personally, if I've trained hard, I'm not ready to eat straight after training. I like to let things settle and then I'll eat. So a basic rule is the next time you go to eat, after training, you make sure that you consume 20 to 30 grams of protein with it. Again, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. If you do that, you're all good. What you could do while we're on meal timing, if we're going to be, again, a little bit more 
specific would be your protein feedings across the day. So I've just talked about muscle protein synthesis. So we can stimulate that with two things, resistance training being the obvious one. The second with servings of protein. So what you could do is 20 to 30 grams, again, this is individual dependent on body weight, is going to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Now for that to happen, let's say at 9am, you have 25 grams of protein, you stimulate muscle protein synthesis. It takes two to three hours then for that process to take place. So you've got to wait two to three hours before you can start the process again. So if we had one serving a protein at 9am, maybe at 12 o'clock we could have another protein serving and that would stimulate the process to start again. So one idea would be spreading your protein feedings across the day instead of eating all your protein in one single meal. Protein servings regularly throughout the day, they're going to help you keep full. So it's two birds, one stone essentially. Now, is there a massive difference between, say, for instance, having three protein servings across the day and five for 90% of the population? I don't think that you would notice a real difference. I think if you're competing, if you're an athlete, then yes, we are going to get to that extremes. But three protein servings across the day for most of you is absolutely fine. So carbs before training, protein after, caffeine before training is your best friend for the obvious reasons of having a strong coffee. But it doesn't need to be any more complex than that. You stick to those rules, your nutrition around your training is good. Now, actually, having just thought about that always going to be a tangent in there what i would say if fat loss is the goal and i know for the person who asked this question that is the case fat loss is a goal so what i would do then is be tempted to suggest that you try focus your calories around yourself and your lifestyle a little bit more around maybe if there's certain times of the day where you struggle with hunger so right tangent 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 for me personally i prefer to train first thing in the morning i like training early get it out of the way if you train early you're less likely to put it off i feel good for the rest of my day if i train early It suits me quite well. I'm a morning person. It suits me very well. I always feel good for it. Now, despite what I've just said about carbohydrates before training, last year when I dieted for a photo shoot, I know me personally, I prefer to eat later in the day. I prefer my calories like seven o'clock onwards. For me is open the fridge. I'm hungry. So did it make sense when I was on a deficit and I had only a certain amount of calories to toy around with each day? to put 200 calories before my training when, to be honest, I could still train pretty well anyway in the morning, as opposed to saving those calories for the evening where I'm likely to be much hungrier, a bit more peckish, and it's going to make me most important thing. And honestly, I can't stress this enough when it comes to dieting, it kept me adherent. It kept me actually sticking to my diet. So I would prioritize your calories on the areas that are going to keep you adherent to your diet, as opposed to getting too worried or stressed or overthinking your nutrition around training the last question was cold showers is it a thing or is it incredibly mad it's probably both in it definitely a bit mad uh, but it's also definitely a thing because it's everywhere now isn't it there's a reason you've asked it's it's been popularized is that a word it's been made a bit more mainstream via instagram or whatever and every man and his dog dogs jump, jump in cold water anyway don't they but there is an awful lot of people pushing cold showers so let's preface this first in my opinion because some people will have seen on instagram last year through most of the summer I had a thing of getting up first thing in the morning and smashing a cold shower out now for me the idea behind it was to give me a bit of a kickstart it woke me up it got me up and something to do at the start of the day I know I'm a bit weird but it gave me a bit of a buzz and then I felt placebo or not felt more productive from it to be completely honest now there's a few big advocates of cold showers in the fitness industry Paul Moore is one I think Jamie Alderton does it he's big on them and I know that from their perspective and the things that I've seen them put out the reason is quite simple and it's a 
about mindset. It's about starting the day off, doing something difficult, doing something you maybe don't really want to do and setting you up for the rest of the day. It's all about mindset, which I agree with. I think it does give you a really good mindset for the start of the day. It's weird, but it does. But as with everything in the world, it then gets blown out of proportion and people start making these real bold claims that just aren't completely true. So what a cold shower isn't, it is not magic. It is not supported by evidence in terms of body composition. Actually, we'll come back to body composition in a minute. But outside of diet or exercise, other than giving you a bit of a mindset shift to start the day well, it's not going to be the answer to fat loss. Listen, if you are going out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, smashing dominoes, booze, doing no steps, training badly, just because you've jumped in the cold shower for a minute every morning, that's not going to solve the problem. Now, before the cold shower fanboys, Wim Hof lovers, get all upset about me talking about this, settle down. I've not finished yet because that's where cold showers, I think anyway, I think this is where the ideas come from. It's come from Wim Hof. If you don't know him, he's a very interesting guy. He, but, right, he's a very interesting guy, but he doesn't shout about cold showers. He's immersing himself in freezing cold water for long periods of a time. That is very different from you, Karen, jumping up and down in the shower for 60 seconds, going from hot to cold, hot to cold for a few seconds every day, right? Him immersing himself in cold water is not the cold shower that 90% of the population are pushing on Instagram. Now, as I said, I was going to come back to body composition because there has actually been, and there's definitely two studies that I know of, and they were quite tightly controlled studies around cold water immersion and hypertrophy. So muscle hypertrophy, basically muscle building. And it showed that cold immersion in water, so basically ice baths, after resistance training actually inhibited muscle hypertrophy. So stopped it, slowed it down. And as I said, there's a couple of studies there showing that. So in theory, if your goal was muscle gain, then a cold bath after training, not that that's what the topic is, but anyway, would not be a good idea. That's also really awkward for lots of gym owners who like have got on this hype and have instilled freezing cold baths in the gym. But that's what the research says. So that's why I'm telling you about it. But back to big Wim, Wim Hof. What he does do, and this, in my opinion, one is ignored when people are buzzing off cold showers, but it's also heavily backed by research and I couldn't agree more with it. Like I've experienced it myself. And he's not just in a cold bath. He's focusing heavily on breathing techniques. Now, whatever you want to call that, guided breathing, meditation, mindfulness, however you want to look at it, whatever you want to describe it as. And God, this is really, really barley of me, but I've now meditated for 10 minutes at the start of every day for probably the last three to four months, maybe a tiny bit longer, but not consistently, but certainly over the last few months, I meditate for 10 minutes at the start of every day. And I can't tell you how good you feel from it. It does help with the rest of your day. So however you want to look at it, that's what Wim Hof massively encourages, is conscious breathing, awareness of the breath. And I would heavily, heavily back that that is as much to play in any benefits as him getting in a cold bath of ice. Is there definitely more to explore in it 100% I think a lot of the research has come from just his team funded by himself which when people so Kellogg's once funded a study around breakfast and were pushing out how breakfast is the most important meal of the day but when you actually looked at the data it showed that actually that wasn't I think the study was uh, describing fat loss and how people who ate breakfast showed to lose more body weight but it was cherry picking certain aspects of data and it was because they funded the study themselves Kellogg's had funded it. They wanted to show that breakfast was perfect. So that would be one thing with Wim Hof is that I think that his own people have funded a lot of the research. But again, I'm not knocking it at all because I think from the, the guided meditation and the breathing side of things, it's not just Wim Hof who has showed massive benefits there. If you look at anything around meditation, the benefits of mindfulness, it's huge. So I would definitely encourage that. But yeah, we're not going to go too far into that because again, 
I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I'm well read up on enough of exactly his methods or exactly the research in it. But I think one thing I would say again is it's very much like supplements. I'd hazard a guess that most people listening to this could work on their sleep a little bit better, could improve the quality of their diet more, training intensity could be worked on. And for most people, like I said, when you come into somebody like myself, it's often around things like fat loss, muscle gain, working on your relationship with food. Those areas aren't going to be addressed by a cold shower. Those areas aren't going to be completely solved by a supplement, but I think it's important to have awareness and to know where focus can be placed when it does come to those things. So yes, that is the end of the podcast. I do hope very much that you found this useful. Feedback is always welcomed. If you want to send me a message, if there's guests that you'd like me to speak to, if there's questions you'd like me to talk about, please do get in touch. Tag me on Instagram, that ginger guy. Review the podcast, give it a good rating. Have a fantastic day and I will speak to you next week.